This morning, uh, as I was thinking and praying about what the Lord wanted to say for us in preparation for that, the Lord took me to um, Isaiah chapter 40, and this morning we're going to be talking about comfort for God's people, comfort for God's people. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get going here. Lord Jesus, we, we gather today in hopes of seeing you. Your word says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's not that you aren't everywhere already. You are. You're omnipresent. But Lord, it's that our capacity for seeing God so often is weak. It's diminished. The Apostle Paul said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers from seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would remove the blinders this morning to help us to see you in your unveiled glory, God, as much as we can bear. We want to see you this morning. Be transformed by your presence, God, to be the people in the church that you've called us to be. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, I do want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. The book of Isaiah is one of the most majestic and lofty books in all of Scripture. It's, it stands at the pinnacle of Old Testament prophecy, uh, not just merely in terms of future events that it foretells, although some of those are uh, incredible, but it also stands as the pinnacle in the fact that um, it's a book of unbelievable theological depth and richness and beauty that is really unparalleled in the rest of the Bible. Um, in the book of Isaiah, we see an almighty God high and lifted up, enthroned over a rebellious people that he would ultimately punish and yet also forgive because of his great mercy and unbreakable promises. Isaiah 40, maybe, hopefully, should sound familiar to you. It's a very famous chapter. It's a remarkable chapter. If you've noticed before, Isaiah 40 comes after Isaiah 36 through 39. Hopefully, you've noticed that. Um, but what you may not have noticed is that Isaiah 36 through 39, and you could just look there in your Bible as you have it open, is, is a break is a break within the prophetic uh, tone of the book of Isaiah. And 36 through 39 is actually kind of a, is a, it's a historical telling of the story of King Hezekiah. So Hezekiah was one of the kings that Isaiah prophesied uh, during his reign. And so um, in the story of King Hezekiah in, thir- in, ver- in chapter 38, it tells the story of Hezekiah's illness, okay? And he became sick uh, to the point where he pretty much knew that he was going to die. And it says that he wept before the Lord. And God heard his prayer and sent to him the prophet Isaiah, who told Hezekiah that, he would, that God was actually going to add 15 years to his life. And that's what happens, um, and, and then, uh, as we continue on the story there, again, in chapter 38, it, it, it talks about how, um, 
uh, the Babylonians sent some envoys there to King Hezekiah. And the, the envoys, you know, were, uh, are purportedly to be because they had heard that Hezekiah was ill and that God had healed him. And so these Babylonian envoys were sent to praise God and to congratulate him uh, on what God has done for him. And what happens there in that story is that what, in what appears to be a moment of pride and vanity, beware of pride. In a moment of pride and vanity, he shows the Babylonians all his wealth and all his riches and all his kingdom. And then Isaiah comes up and tells the Hezekiah, you know, Hezekiah, what did you just show these people? And he's like, well, I showed them everything, the wealth, the riches, everything. And, has, and, and Isaiah looks at him and says, one day, everything that you just showed to the Babylonians will one day be carried off by them to Babylon. And your, some of your own sons, some of your own Davidic line will be eunuchs and exiled into, into the land of Babylon. And it's on the heels of that that we have Isaiah chapter 40, where the first verse says, comfort, comfort my people. And so what we have today in, the, in, the, in Isaiah chapter 40 is, is remarkable. It's a word of comfort. It's a word of rebuke. But ultimately, it's a word of hope. It's a word of hope for a people who would turn away from God, but God would show mercy to them again. So that's what we're going to learn today as we talk about comfort for God's people from Isaiah chapter 40. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read Isaiah 40, 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump down to verse 25, okay? So Isaiah 40, 1 through 8 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall be faint and weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of God, you may be seated. I want to discuss three truths from our passage this morning. Number one, the breadth of God's comfort. The breadth of God's comfort. Number two, the duration of God's word. The duration of God's word. And number three, the scope of God's power. The scope of God's power. First, I want to talk about the breadth of God's comfort. The breadth of God's comfort. Isaiah chapter 40 here, as we talked about, starts where it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And when we read that, the natural question we must ask is, comfort for what? Comfort for what? What do they need comforting from? And as we just discussed, right, Isaiah, in, in kind of typical prophetic fa- fashion, right, he has jumped forward, he has, by, by the Spirit, he has jumped forward in his mind's eye to a future generation post-exile. Okay, post-Babylonian exile, there would, a future generation of Judah and Israel would happen, would come about, in which God would climactically judge the people of Israel for violating the covenant that we made, that he made with them on Mount Sinai. And that's, that's, cause that was the what? That was the founding. That was the institution of the Jewish people as God's people. He delivered them out of slavery from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm through the Passover, uh, through the striking of the firstborn, through the, through the crossing of the Red Sea. And he delivered them and saved them. And then he made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai where he's basically saying, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be my people who belong to God Almighty, then there's a certain way that you have to live. And this is what it looks like. It's God's covenant. But God told them. He said, if you, and he said, I'm going to give you this land that I promised your forefathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And in that land, you will be my people and I will be your God. But God also told them, he said, but if you break my covenant and you turn away from me to worthless idols, I will remove you from the land. This is what he said in Deuteronomy. Some of the very last words of Moses to the people before he entrusted them to Joshua who would take them over the Jordan into the land of promise. In the end of Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 24, this is what Moses wrote. He said, all the nations will say, post-exile, he said, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this, done thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? And then the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. See, Moses was a prophet of his own, and he foresaw the day, basically, when they would rebel against God, and then God would exile them out of the the land, the very land that he promised them, and people would come along and ask, why did God's burning anger burn against us? I mean, literally, the the Babylonians just destroyed the temple, destroyed the city. 
and 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 the, and the point that the answer would be because they abandoned the Lord. That's why it happened. And yet, and yet, Isaiah. So Isaiah is living about 150 years before the Babylonian exile, but Isaiah is leaping ahead in his mind's eye by the Spirit, and he's prophesying to the people of Israel on the other side of the exile. You know what's interesting is God preached comfort to them before what they needed comforting from even happened. Isn't that remarkable? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. So in this passage, we're reminded of God's fierce justice against sin, but we're also reminded of the fact that as fierce as his justice is, his mercy is even fiercer. And that's what, that's what we see. Sin must be punished. It must be punished. Right? If evil and good in the end are treated exactly the same, then God is not good and God is not God. But for God to be good and just, he must reward righteousness and punish wickedness. And that's what he does. God punishes Israel for her idolatry, for her abandonment from him. And the Babylonian exile was that punishment. But Isaiah is looking forward into the future beyond the exile to the time after the exile and he's already proclaiming comfort to her people that 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 God's justice has been satisfied and so that comfort is coming that after the appointed time of punishment God is ready to speak comfort to his people once again speak tenderly to Jerusalem cry to her that her warfare is ended you see God's mercy burns even harder than his justice and he's 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 he he loves his people and he made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And he intends to keep that promise. Now what is remarkable here is that what is the word of comfort that God speaks to his people? What's that word of comfort? Verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of comfort to Israel is what? It's a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now that verse should be very familiar to you. Because it's quoted in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as a passage that was fulfilled in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the ways of the Lord. And that's what God sent John the Baptist to do, to prepare people's hearts for the Messiah, the one whom John the Baptist said, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So what is Isaiah seeing then? He's seeing, he's looking forward to a time when God would come for his people in the greatest possible way. And that greatest possible way is through the preparation of the coming of the Lord himself to his people. Jesus is the tender word spoken to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that stones the prophets and kills those who were sent to it. How 
Oh, how I would gather you together as a hen gathers her brood, and you are not willing. God sent his son as the ultimate proclamation of comfort to his people, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will pardon iniquity and who will bear sin. So what does this mean for us? It means we must, we must never forget both the severity of God towards sin and the mercy of God towards the repentant. Jesus Christ came to bear the penalty for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus Christ, the, the whole point of Jesus is that we could not say, we could not save ourselves. We had already rebelled against God. We had already blew it. We had already put ourselves under the just wrath and condemnation of God. But yet through Jesus Christ, God still speaks a tender word to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For the Son of Man came to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a word of comfort that through Jesus Christ, our iniquity can be pardoned. Our warfare is ended. We can move forward in faith and love and obedience to God as a new people for God because he is not counting our sins against us. That is the ultimate comfort for God's people. If you need comfort for one thing in your entire life, it is this. It is the comfort of knowing that your sins are forgiven. If you don't know that, friends, it doesn't matter what other comforts you have in this world. If our sin is not, if our sin is not forgiven, when we stand before the holy and righteous king, there's no comfort left. But God has sent his comfort in the form of his own son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have the ultimate comfort that then no matter what else we face in this world, nothing can take away the comfort and hope we have that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And that's how we live lives of bold faith in the world today. This is the bedrock of our ministry as a church. And so what the call is, is the call to take our eyes off ourselves, to look at the glory of Christ and to look out at the needs of others and to have the, and to have the ultimate word of comfort out there that people are, are longing for, are dying for, are thirsting for, are craving. They might not know. They, don't, they, they probably don't know that their greatest need right now is forgiveness of sins. But we can love them and we can tell them. And when they see it, they get it. And we can bring that word of comfort to their souls. When Peter, on the day of Pentecost, proclaimed the resurrection of Christ, and he told them what they did to Jesus, and they said, what must we do to be saved? He says, here's how. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. We get to speak the ultimate word of comfort. The word of comfort the psalmist wrote about in Psalm, 108, uh, Psalm 103, verse 8, where it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east, as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
So number one, we see the breadth of God's comfort. Number two, we see the duration of God's word. The duration of God's word. Uh, verse six, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. So after the word of comfort, uh, after the prophecy of the voice crying in the wilderness, we see another command that is given to Isaiah. A voice says, cry. He says, "What, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. You know, in verse 8 there, Isaiah 48, it's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. But here's the question. How many people know what Isaiah is actually talking about there? What's the grass? What's the flower? It's people. It's us. It's humanity. That's the flower. That's the flesh. Verse 26, all flesh is grass. Uh, verse 6, all flesh is grass. Verse 7, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. What does that mean? It means that the salvation and the comfort that God is going to bring ultimately will not, cannot come through people. Because people are like grass. We're weak and we're feeble. The grass withers, the flower fades. Humans are weak and frail. We know that because of Israel, right? Israel had all the promises of God. Israel was delivered out of slavery in Egypt. Israel had the covenant of Mount Sinai. Israel had the promises in the promised land. Israel had the prophets from God himself. Israel had all the blessings that a people could want from God. And guess what? They still blew it. Have you ever been blessed in an unbelievable way by God and you still blew it? Surely the people are grass. Humans are weak and frail. Israel, in in times of their history, they would look to other nations and other nations' military strength for help rather than to God. And that's the problem. We are too weak and frail. We are too prone to human weakness and rebellion. We're unable to achieve and attain the promises of God on our own. And that's a good, and so the good news is the comfort for God's people is that despite the weakness of man, and not just that, but despite how man, how, how, how despite uh, what man would do to try to thwart the promises of God. You know, the, the, the church in China was barely getting off the ground when the communists took over China. And after communism took over China, missionaries were no longer allowed in there. And then after the, 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 the fall of the Iron Curtain, and, 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 people, and, act, and China opened up some and people were able to go back in there, do you know what they found? You know what they found uh, about the church in China? It had exploded. I think there's an estimated 200 million Christians in China. That's almost two-thirds of the population of the United States. 
What does it mean? It means no human power, no human nation can stop what God wants to do. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So human weakness and human might cannot hinder or thwart the promises of God. Man cannot save you. You cannot save you. The grass withers, the flower fades. Jesus taught this in John 6, 63. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's the word of God that gives life. It is the word of God that will stand forever. God's promises are faithful and true. You want to live forever? You got to stand on that which lasts forever, which is the word of God. If we want to experience the power of God in our church, it's got to come through standing 110% on the word of God, which stands forever. If you want to thrive in your life and in your ministry, if you want to be the person that God has called you to be, the holy man or woman of God that he has called you to be, the godly friend and mother and daughter and, and spouse and husband and father, and, and if you want to be who God has called you to be, it's going to, it's going to come through the power of God through his word, which lasts forever. It's not going to come through human strength, through human ingenuity, through human wisdom. It's not, even, it's not going to come by you trying harder. It's going to come by the power of God through his word. When you take hold of his promises by faith. And so if we want to experience the, the power of God in our church, I believe this is what we have to do. We got to have the courage and the conviction and the faith to say, if this book says it, we're going to do it. And we're not going to trick people, and we're not going to deceive people, and we're not going to play games with people's eternal salvation and heaven and hell. And we're going to talk the truth and love, and we're going to speak plainly to one another, and we're going to be there for one another. And look, we, look, see, we don't have to do anything. We just, we just sit and rest on God's word and he'll do the work. God doesn't, need our, God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need our tricks. He doesn't need our fads. He doesn't need our techniques. What he needs is people who bring nothing to the table so that he can fill us with what he wants to fill us with. So I beg you, get the word of God in your life. Cling to it with all that you are. Devote time to it. Invest in it. Pour it into your life. Pour it into your heart and soul. I just, I always beg people to do this. We're not playing games. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You cannot live a life of courageous faith and love and self-sacrifice if you're starving spiritually. It's impossible. So I don't care what you got to do. I don't care what you got to cut out of your life. It's worth it to get this book in your heart. And when we do that individually, corporately, I guarantee we'll be transformed and I guarantee God's going to show up.
guys, I'm just, I'm, I'm unbelievable. I can't, dis- I can't expl- express it to you. I can't explain it. I just have this strange feeling that God is up to something. I'm not, ju- I'm not just talking here. I'm just, look, guys, I listen. I listen to what's going on. I listen when I hear other people pray, when I hear other pastors pray. I listen to the burdens that people come and say, Chad, God's put, God's put this on my heart. Chad, I, I, I'm hearing this. This is happening over here. Look, God, God is up to something. But let me tell you something. God will do what he's going to do with or without us. So we can either lift up the sails of our church to be prepared and ready for the wind to blow or the work of the Spirit is going to move right by us and go down the street. So I'm begging that we as a people lift up our sails and get ready for the Spirit of God to blow by standing on His Word. The breath of God's comfort, the duration of God's Word. Finally, number three, the scope of God's power. The scope of God's power. Verse 25. To whom then will, will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exalted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So if you continue in the logic of Isaiah 40, right? God, Isaiah is looking forward to a time post-exile, post-punishment for their sins, and he's proclaiming that a declimactic form of God's judgment, of God's mercy, is coming to, of God's comfort is coming to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And that comfort, he says, is not going to come by the power of man, nor can it be thwarted by the power of man. And to just double down, if you will, on how God's will and purpose cannot be thwarted and how and to give comfort to them by talking about them of how certain it is that when God says something, it's going to happen. To do all that, he reminds them of the glory and the magnitude and the sovereignty of God. Isaiah 40 is probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. If you've never just sat down and just read it and just basked in the glory of God, you need to do that. It's breathtaking. In verse 25, this question is asked, basically, to whom shall we compare God? To whom shall we compare God? The answer, 
No one. There's no one. There's no one like God. God stands alone, almighty, omnipotent, eternal, without beginning or end. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. Many times throughout scripture, the, 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 the fact that he is the creator is presented as that which makes him unique out of everything. And that makes perfect sense, right? Think about it. Everything that is not God exists because of God. But God himself stands alone as the only one that just always has been because God just, God just is. He just is. But everything else exists only because he wills that it exists. And that demonstrates that there is nothing and no one like God. And that's the argument he uses here. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? The stars. Lift up your eyes and see. Y'all been out in the woods when it's country dark? You know what I'm talking about? Country dark? Y'all been there. Y'all got country folk. Been out in the woods when it's country dark, maybe standing on a hill. Look up at the sky. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Stars, stars, stars as far as the eye can see. And you know... You don't have to be a great scientist. No, there's a lot more out there than what you can see. Stars that we won't, there'll be stars that we won't, we'll never even discover. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says every single one of those pinpricks of light to us, it's there because God wanted it there. And those stars burn with all their might for Jesus. That's why they're there. And God has a name for every single one of them. Look, if God has named the stars and stars that we won't ever even know about exist to burn for the glory of God, guess what? God can solve your problems. Who is like God? There is no one. And that's what it says in verse 27, right? It's an honest question. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. What is that? That's an honest, that's an honest question that sometimes in our finitude and in our weakness, we ask God, why, why doesn't God see me? You ever ask that? Where are you, God? Don't you see what's happening right now? Why are you disregarding me? Why don't you care? But what does God say? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth. He's not tired. You may be tired, 
But praise God, God's not tired. But what does he do? He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's God's answer to that question? His answer is this. I do care. And I do see. In fact, I care more than you do about you. And I see your situation with an infinitely greater clarity than you do. And I'm God. And I give strength to those who wait for me. You see, that's the thing. You see, some of us, when we're in those dark places in life, there's one thing that we just can't find to do, and that is to wait. But it's only to those who wait that God gives strength. God sees in God's care, God cares, and those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. You know what waiting means? Waiting is what is consistently through the Bible, what God calls us to do with respect to him. Waiting is trust. If I'm waiting for someone, what am I doing? I'm trusting that they're still going to show up. You ever been stood up? God's not going to stand you up. You wait on the Lord, and he's going to show up. Not only that, but it says that those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. They won't just hang on, he says. He says they'll sprout wings and fly. That is what? It's the scope of God's power. You see, what Isaiah, Isaiah is talking to a people post-exile, and to their mind, it's like, it, it can't get any worse than this, right? Uh, we're exiled out of the land of promise. We have no home. We're in a foreign land. The temple is destroyed. We have no home, no land, no identity. And Isaiah said, not everybody will, but the people who do this, the people who wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. You know, there was a man in the Bible, and God told him, basically, if you wait, I'm going to let you see my Messiah. And he became an old man, and then one day, a baby is waltzed into the temple. And the Spirit told Simeon, that's my boy. And he took him in his arms. And he saw the Lord's salvation because he waited for the Lord. The same God who spoke stars into existence can act for you, can act for us, can act for our church when we wait for him. That's the scope of God's power.
So the breadth of God's comfort, the duration of God's words, the scope of God's power. Church, there's more promise to come if we're willing to wait. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that in our weakness, in our frailty, in our waiting, God is where you come to us. So Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help us to not go above or beyond. Help us try not to take things into our own hand. God, help us to wait for you. As individuals and God as a church, Lord, I believe, I believe you have great things. God, not for our sake, but for your sake, you have great things in store. But God, we got to be ready. We got to be holy. We got to be humble. We got to be faithful. We got to be prepared. We got to be looking up, waiting for that knock on the door. When you show up, God, so help us, help us to be faithful. God, in our waiting. And Lord Jesus, Lord, I just want to, I want to say a prayer now for those who might be in this room under the sound of my voice, Lord, and Lord, to them, waiting on the Lord before now might have meant absolutely nothing. But maybe today, God, maybe today, through your word where it stands forever, you have shown them their sin. Maybe, Lord, today you have shown them their need of forgiveness. Maybe, Lord Jesus, today you have shown them that you died on the cross so that they might be forgiven. And God, I pray that they would wait no longer, but that they would seize you by faith, Lord Jesus, for forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, to stand with us as your people, to wait for the promises that are coming. We look up. We look up this morning, Lord Jesus, who created these. It was you, Lord. It was you. And we wait for you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.